Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and I usually use this time in the podcast to let Ben plug a couple of the publications that he's recently written for. Ben. Give it your best shot. I don't know as if I'm plugging them. I think they're doing okay on their own, Sammy. I, I thought it was just to establish some type of credentials for people who might be listening for, for the first time. Look, if we had the time to go through all of your credentials, we'd be here for another 45 minutes. And we'd be forced to hire a private investigator because some of those <laughs> credentials are pretty shaky. Yeah. So, come on. Hit me with some of the recent publications you've been working on. You can find my work at Haggerty, at Motor Trend, and Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week we're going to talk about um, two vehicles that we have talked about in the past, but perhaps with some more perspective. But you know what? Before we get into that, um, I'm going to bring up a random comment from last week's um, podcast with your sci-fi stuff. Uh, somebody told me sci-fi is stupid, it's not real, and uh, don't, they don't want you to talk about sci-fi anymore and to never discuss fake cars ever again, okay? Wait, where did, how did that, that comment get to you? <laughs> Oh, it was a private message to me um, through some sort of science technical machine. So I just want to point out that the word, the genre has the word fiction in the title, science fiction. So by definition, it is not real. It, his name is Muscly Joe 45. Um, so you got to, he's, he's all about the real life. No, dark. you know what, Muscly Joe, I respect your opinion. Uh, but sometimes things get a little too real at Unnamed Automotive Podcast Headquarters. And we have to take these flights of fancy. So that's, that's kind of where that came from. So, okay, I want you to start talking about the all-too-real vehicle that you're driving this week, which is the Cadillac CT5. Is it the V? It is the V. And I know you okay. drove this vehicle, and you liked it. I was surprised by it. I, I think, you know, the car has some expectations to overcome because the V branding is all about that high horsepower, super fast, yeah. um, like, lifestyle. And you know that better than anyone else because you've got a CTS V in your garage. So does this live up to that standard? No, and it shouldn't have to. I know we talked about it, when we talked a few weeks ago about V for Cadillac. Mm -hmm. We went really in depth about the naming and how confusing it is. So we're not going to repeat that now. But the CT5 V, it's one of their in-betweener sedans, which is what Cadillac's all about. It's somewhat larger than a three series, somewhat smaller than a five series. It's really a direct replacement for the CTS V Sport, which was a really good car that came with a twin turbo V6 that put out 420 horsepower. It was somewhat bigger than the CT5 V, and I think a little bit heavier. Um, and it was all wheel drive, I think. It might have been all wheel drive or rear wheel drive. I think you had the choice. Anyway, that car's mm. gone. CTS is gone. And, and this is the car that's trying to replace it. And it's doing so fairly faithfully, Sammy. I mean, this is a car that has a 3-liter twin-turbo V6. It's got 360 horsepower, 405 pound-feet of torque. It is very quick. And yeah. uh, it, it is intended to go up against not the M's and the S's and the R. Sorry, the M's and the RS's and the AMG's, but the lowercase versions of those cars. So <laughs> Yeah, the non the, the, I love that. The, like, uh, I'm with the real M sports. Yeah, yeah. ask like, me about... <laughs> My other yeah. car is actually a real M. But, 
So it's uh, it goes up against the BMW M340i, the Mercedes-AMG C43. Sorry if you thought that was a real AMG, everybody. And the Audi S4, which they've all morphed into the top trim level of their respective vehicles. Okay. So, oh, wait, hold up. First of all, two things I want to bring up. If it was replacement for the CTS V Sport, which had 420 horsepower, now you're telling me that the replacement has 60 less horsepower, um, which is sad. And then the other thing is these fake AMGs, or whatever you want to call them, not quite full AMGs, throw me off all the time. The other day I saw one of those new um, CLSs, and I was like, "Woo, that's a sweet-looking AMG. And then it said... 53 on the side <laughs> and i was like what the <laughs> yeah it's getting it's getting harder and harder to figure out branding um I, I i don't think it's disappointing that the power that the power is less i think that technology and power have become so inextricably linked that you can do a lot more with less horsepower than you used to be able to like this car is I'm trying to find the exact specifications for the 0 to 60, but I'm willing to bet it's as fast as my 400 horsepower V8 Cadillac. In fact, it's faster. So, what? Uh, but yours is a manual and this is an automatic. It's a manual, yeah. And 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 this is also, you can get it with all-wheel drive, which is what I had. So it does it in 4.6 seconds, which is 0.3 seconds faster than my car, which is like, you know, eight, 15 years old at this point. So it's power isn't everything. Uh, lightness plays a big role. The ability to get power to the ground and get traction plays a big role. And where the power is located. With a turbocharged V6, all that power is located down low. And it makes for pretty good acceleration off the line. But I will say this. This car doesn't just feel fast from a stop. If you're on the highway and you floor it, there is a second wind that happens above 70 miles an hour that is shockingly fast. This car is exceptionally quick in pretty much all circumstances, Sammy. Okay. So that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. Whenever we talk about these lowercase sporty uh, badges or brands... Um, we say that, you know, they, they provide everything but that feeling of like speed. It provides like I'm in the club without having to terrify anybody in the process. <laughs> and I don't know. And I think that the, what makes the CTS, uh, sorry, the CT5V pretty successful is that it's actually pretty quick too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, and you get a decent amount of control over that power, um, it, it comes with magnetic ride control standard, no matter which one you order. Uh, so it's not confusing. Like we, we had a bit of an issue figuring it out with the CT4V. It's got a, a limited slip rear differential standard. You get Brembo brakes, um, performance tires. It's, uh, coming, um, with exclusively a 10 speed automatic transmission, which mm. we'll talk about in a few minutes. And, uh, it's really feels like a button down luxury experience. Now, I did not yeah. have the chance to drive this car anywhere that would I would call fun. Um, currently, where I live, there's a lot of travel restrictions, and it's hard to get out of the city and into other regions. So that makes it difficult. Uh, I did drive it around Montreal quite a bit, mm-hmm. and that's how I you know was impressed with the speed. Um, handling wise, it feels really buttoned down. It's got multiple drive modes. It's got the same V. V mode where you can program the one button on the steering wheel to have the type of shifting that you want, the suspension stiffness that you want, the engine sound, the transmission, sorry, I mentioned shifting, uh, the, the engine response, throttle response. So that was cool. What about the shifting? It's got the shifting. Did I mention that it has the shifting? <laughs> All 10 speeds. Um, so it's, um, it, and, and unlike the CT4V, I found that when I was just in regular touring mode, it, uh, it felt soft enough to drive every day without feeling like a compromise so i appreciated that about the car we got to talk about the noise that it makes 
Eesh. So, yeah. funny you should mention that. It's my least favorite thing about the CT5V. It's the it's the combination of the real exhaust note of that V6 and the mm-hmm. fake exhaust note of that V6 that gets pumped in. I mean, you can turn that on and off, but neither of these sounds... But it, like, drones. That that in, pumped-in noise, like, drones. It and does it's like, drone. You could have gotten rid of this... Like why are you? Why am I being subjected to this? It does drone, and and it just doesn't sound like a performance car. <laughs> it sounds like a vacuum. Yeah, it's not great. I I will say that um, the M3, the real M3 from BMW, sounds terrible. That's well, yeah. We haven't driven. They, they just revealed a brand new version of it. Okay, well, the one that's the, in the real world that you can buy right now sounds terrible. So it's yeah. it's not just Cadillac that's having an issue with making a six-cylinder engine sound good. Although for BMW, they're dealing with an inline six, so it's a little less, a little less. Uh, it's a little harder for me to understand that. But uh, the ATS-V, which is a, a similarly sized Cadillac from before, more horsepower, same thing though, twin turbo V6. It also didn't sound good. Um, it was fun to drive. But it didn't have that same performance sound pleasure thing for your ears. Performance okay. sound pleasure thing. That should be in all the ads. That the should be in all the ads. It'll, it'll say in quotes. Perfor- <laughs> performance, performance sound pleasure thing. Not guaranteed. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I didn't like I, that We need part. to write that down. We're going to keep that a common reference point for the rest of our podcast. Performance sound pleasure thing. I did not I did not like that. Um, the interior is nicer than the CT4V. I find it to be very similar to the regular CT5. There's, there's not a lot of difference, but um, the materials just kind of feel like cut above. It's a little easier to forgive the sharing of things like buttons um, with other parts of the Cadillac family. Again, though, it, it doesn't seem super special inside. Uh, I know that they're probably saving that for the Blackwing, which is coming up, and that's going to be a turbocharged V8, or sorry, a, a, a V8 engine uh, version of the CT5. Yeah, great. And um, uh, it, it, I know, because, again, I had a complaint about the ATSV, the previous sporty uh car in this in this size segment i guess no it's hard to know whether i should reference the atsv or the ctsv sport anyway i'm just going to stop thinking about the past (laughs) yeah move forward man but it's the the interior is good doesn't feel special it doesn't feel like a special performance version it just feels like a nice version of the ct5 that's Mm. fine we'll get a nicer interior in the black wing um for they're going to put a manual transmission in the Blackwing, and I think that's important because when you have a 10-speed automatic transmission like in the CT5V, you end up not really being able to take advantage of the paddle shifters because yeah. you're not going to click down three or four gear ratios when you're in the middle of some spirited driving. You're just not going to do it. It is it is unreasonable, and it's not a fun thing to do. So leaving the car in drive and just letting the computer take care of everything works really well, and... It, le- it leads to a less engaged driving experience, but there's not much you can do with that many ratios. Um, I've heard some complaints about this car not changing gears when it should. So I, I kind of agree with you that the as far as I can tell, the regular drive modes, when you have it in like the really aggressive V modes, seem to be a, a decent mix. I wasn't super frustrated with the way that the car downshifted or upshifted, but I have seen some other people really share that frustration saying this doesn't feel like a performance car. Um, when it comes to the transmission tuning, I didn't. I didn't have that issue. I, I didn't find myself having that problem. Um, you know what's interesting though is this is a larger car than the CT4V, but it only has like forty more horsepower. 
Yeah. So, what do you think is the better like if you're after performance? Or definitely a performance. Definitely this engine. I liked it yeah. more. Um, it's uh, we, we talked a lot truck, rather than the truck engine in the CT4. Well, we talked about how it wasn't fun to rev the other engine, and it's not necessarily fun to rev this engine, but you don't. It doesn't feel unfun. It doesn't feel like. You're just getting a lot of low end torque, and that's it. This this engine's power band was a, was more engaging than the four cylinder and the CT four V, and I think that's to be expected. Okay, um, but, uh, did, sorry, go on. Did you have any concerns about the brakes at all? No, none at all. No. Stopped okay. very well. Um, one thing I really think it's important to mention though about this car is we were talking about the M three forty I and the C forty three AMG. Both mm. of those cars start at fifty five thousand dollars. Like right. that's the starting price. Uh, without any options. The starting price for the CT5V is $46,000. Yeah, a serious $9,000 difference. There, That's right? a big deal. And it, it, the reason I'm mentioning this is because if you just want to get a twin-turbo V6 car with all the goodies I mentioned, all those all those you know Brembo brakes and the, the limited-slip diff and the drive modes and the mag ride... All of that, and that's all you care about. You can do that for forty six grand. That's a for huge less than value. a BMW M three forty i. Yeah, that's a decent. It's way a huge of value. I mean, if you want stuff like all wheel drive, if you want stuff like the better navigation system, that kind of thing, a different interior, you're gonna have to pay more for that in options. And yeah, you can add another ten thousand in options if you want to. But we all know you can also add ten thousand in options to a three series. Yeah. So. Um, if you just want a performance car that's really comfortable, it's kind of hard to think of a better deal, especially for a rear-wheel drive car, than the CT5V right now. Can, can you think of anything that competes with this car directly? Um, I keep thinking about the Red Sport versions of the Infinities, because those have those put out a lot of horsepower, 400 horsepower, and sometimes feel a little bit faster than that. Um, but... In every other way, they're really dated. Uh, I'm not sure. I think the interior is comparable to a Cadillac, even though you mentioned that the interior of the CT5V just didn't feel special. It feels, I think, yeah, it's good, but it doesn't feel like yeah. I'm driving a special version of the car. I can't remember how much Infinity um, Q50 I'm looking at it right support. now. I mean, yeah. the base model, the 300 horsepower model is um, not that expensive. Right. But, uh, once you get into the oh, this is this is oh my goodness they have so many. Did you know that the Infinity trim names are pure lux and sensory? Yes, I did know. They're <laughs> I, completely ridiculous. Um, if you want the rear wheel drive version of the Red Sport, which has the 400 horsepower twin turbo six cylinder, it's fifty seven four seventy. So the Holy Cadillac, moly, the okay. Cadillac is ten grand less than this car. That's wild. Okay, that's. Unnecessary. Why did so, they go that far? So so Cadillac is basically doing what Cadillac has always done in the sports sedan segment. And that's offer way more car than everyone else at a discount. Or or if not, way more car sorry, way more car than everyone else at that price point, and the equivalent of a much more expensive German car. And I don't know when that strategy will stop. I know they the, the Escalade is kind of the only car in the Cadillac lineup that doesn't do that. The Escalade is expensive and it expects you to pay for it because it it's the Escalade, you know, and that's how branding works. But they haven't been able to do that for the sedans. So it, it's really a screaming deal. Um, I'm willing to forgive a lot of what we just talked about, especially, you know, the engine sound and the fact that it's not particularly, um, I don't know. It's it, it, for the price. I I don't know what else I would buy, Sammy, if I wanted a four-door sedan. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. And um, although I wasn't impressed with the the interior space, I think it will probably suit many people's families um, nicely. Uh, it's not the most powerful thing, but as we discussed, the way that transmission seems to deliver um, the the performance seems to indicate that the car is plenty fast, um, both off the line and in motion. And um, it seems pretty competent in terms of in terms of handling too. So you're getting all of these at a reduced price than some of the benchmarks in this class. And that ends up being a pretty, a pretty good um, equation, right? Yeah, like that's, it's, that's, it's down, yeah. it's down 20 horsepower on both the BMW and the Mercedes, but I would, I think you'd be hard pressed to notice. Uh, I don't think that the actual acceleration is all that different from either of those cars. Um, and it's also worth pointing out that I believe for the next model year, the 2021 model year, the CT5 and CT4 will get probably Cadillac's most important feature, which is Super Cruise. Yes. And so if you wait a few months, that's what you're going to be dealing with. I think that's super – I really do think that's important because we're always begging uh, – well, at least I'm always begging automakers to tell people specifically this is what – the your pro, like this is why you should buy our product and having a feature that no one else has in Super Cruise is a it's the easiest answer to that question. The one last thing that I wanted to say about this car is that um, the it, it attracted a surprisingly a surprisingly large amount of attention from people to the point where when I was parking it on my street, I had people stop in traffic and block people behind them to ask me about the car. Wow, and, selfish. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying they they noticed it. It was painted bright red, but um, that rarely happens with a four-door sedan. And the person who was talking to me was also in a four-door luxury sedan. So mm-hmm. that speaks well to Cadillac attracting uh, maybe a new clientele into its into its showrooms. I think that the design of the CT5V with the kind of fake hatchback kind of deal it's got going on, like almost yeah. a fastback, I think that's really kind of what people are looking for right now. So uh, well, I was impressed by though, that. Because I'm concerned that almost every other vehicle in the class seems to have this kind of like weird – like that's becoming a more – it's becoming a fad, I think. You're seeing a lot of uh, automakers try to pull off that sport back look. Yes and, I and no. I, I mean I don't think really Mercedes is doing it. What? Like the CLS and the CLA are are like yeah, but those are not vehicles that compete those. compete at the, in this segment, right? So like they no. they have some vehicles that do it and others that don't. Where it's right. I don't think everyone is doing it. I guess is what I'm saying. And then like the four series Grand Coupe, that's that that it is a hatchback. Like the the roof hinges at the roof. I mean the the trunk hinges at the roof. Yeah, and it's so, very useful. Yeah. So, I mean, I think those, I don't know. I don't know how I'm feeling about it because I think when it first came out, we were really impressed by that um, design language. I think, you know, A7 and CLS helped showcase how pretty four-door vehicles can be. Um, And now it seems like everyone's doing it. And you can see this look in, like, Honda Accords now. So, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel like that profile is really impressing people still. But I'm glad to see that the Cadillac uh, CT5V caught some attention on the road because what is it – like maybe we don't see a lot of them. We just don't see a lot of them on the road. So we would want to talk to you, whoever's got one, and what they think about it. Because- I think that's part of it because, I mean, Cadillac at this point in its brand in brand cycle, it, it's an alternative. You know? Yeah. It's an alternative to a Japanese uh, – well, sorry. An alternative to a German luxury car and maybe even alternative to a company like Acura which probably has more brand recognition among certain buyers than Cadillac does in the sedan segment. Yeah. 
And that's also another thing worth mentioning. Do you think there's a lot of brand loyalty to, like, Cadillac? Do you mm. think people who have had um, an SRX in the past or um, an ATS or a CTS are like, oh, yeah, the new CT5V is here, and I'm going to jump into that next? I think the SRX definitely. I think that was a very mm. popular vehicle. Um, they sold very well. Sold, sold very well. A lot of repeat buyers. Uh, with the sedans, it's harder to tell because how many times have the names and sizes changed over the last 15 years? It's it's tough to keep up. Um, but uh, I I don't Grand know. There are some. I think, I think that yeah. there are some people who are domestic car lifers, and yeah. they are looking for a domestic car. I don't yeah. know if they're necessarily looking for a Cadillac. That's such an interesting concept to me. I thought that was a really dated concept, and I wonder if that's still happening today. Like this domestic uh, car loyalist it definitely does uh, especially if you live in regions if you live in regions of the continent of north america that are have a heavy manufacturing base Mm -hmm. and you either you know maybe you know someone or a family member works at a car plant um and if that car plant is a north american brand then you're probably going to be a little more loyal to that so and i understand that completely just like if you live in ohio maybe you're buying an acura you know it's it's or or honda it's it's that kind of um wanting to support the home team well, you know, anything anything else you want to mention about the Cadillac CT... What is it called? CT5V? CT5V? I, so I, you know, I, I really wish I'd had a chance to drive it in more engaging circumstances. Uh, that's kind of the only regret I have. Um, it doesn't feel like the kind of car you would necessarily regularly take to a racetrack, but Cadillac has included performance traction management with the CT5V as standard equipment. And are you, if you're not familiar with that technology, this is a multi-stage traction control system and stability control system that's in the Corvette. And it's also in the Camaro 1LE. And mm. it's really, really good. Like at least five different versions of, and possibly more. I didn't go into the PTM on the CT5V. Some of the versions are slightly different depending on which car you're in. But you can set it up to uh, reflect that you're in wet conditions. You can set it up to uh, do sporty street driving, or you can go full track and turn everything off. And it's it, you have multiple levels within each of those three areas that you can fool around with. It's a very serious piece of technology. And the fact that it's in the CT5V, and I want to stress this again, it's in that base model for 46000 or $45,000, indicates just how much performance GM wanted to stuff into this one car. So I, that's, you know, MagnaRide, performance traction management, and the twin-turbo um, V6 engine. All of those things together, it's it's a crazy value. Um, it, it feels like a really fast, really comfortable daily driver mm-hmm. and definitely very buttoned down. Uh, and I, I think I need more time with the car to try and answer the questions I have left about it. Well, I mean, that's an important question to ask. Is the CT the the V brand seemed kind of track oriented, and there I, I think there was a time when Cadillac CTS V um, coupes were like dominating in GT3 race cars or World Series or World Challenge racing. Um, and I don't know if that's still happening. I haven't followed GT3 racing in a while, so please be patient with me. Um, but at a time, like it seemed like the V brand meant like domination on the on the racetrack yeah but as as we've said like as we've said what the brand has been diluted in order to Mm -hmm. keep up with what the germans are doing with their brands yeah that's i don't know i still i'm not sold on that um on that move 
But uh, I want to transition, as we were talking about uh, domestic car loyalists, I've got a domestic car myself as well, the Ford Escape. And this is really important to talk about because the Ford Escape, um, as we've said before, is kind of going to be a, a very important product for a lot of people who go to a Ford dealership, maybe expecting to buy a Focus or a uh, Fusion, and then come to the realization that Ford won't be making those products anymore. And the Escape will probably be what they're going to be pushed into. So what that ends up meaning is that the Ford Escape is really a versatile vehicle. It has a lot of pressure on its little, like, haunches there, its little wheel, uh, wheel wells. And uh, I don't know if that's altogether a great thing for it, but um, I, I, I'm... I'm I am impressed enough with the Ford Escape to suggest it way more than I did with its last generation model. So this is a super crowded segment. I need yeah. you I need you to hit me with three reasons why I would take the Escape over any other competitor. And are there three? Okay. Any other competitor is a very difficult um, point to hit. I was going to say that the fact that it comes with this turbocharged engine, this two-liter turbo that makes about 200 and – it actually is very powerful. It makes 200 and um, – sorry, 250 horsepower and 280 pound-feet of torque um, is very, very good. However, the um, CX-5 can be had with almost just as powerful of, a, of an engine, a 2.5 turbo, which um, – which is incredible too. So it's not the only car with this really high horsepower uh, four-cylinder, but it is an alternative to the um, Mazda CX-5. In fact, I put the Escape and Mazda CX-5 as almost in the same space because they end up being the really uh, responsive and sporty um, versions of of vehicles in this class, which is actually, um, it, it feels like now we've got like these segmentations in the class. And I just drove the Nissan Rogue, which I'll be talking about next week. Uh, unfortunately, I can't talk about it this week, but next week I'll be talking to you about the Nissan Rogue. And you end up realizing that this segment has a little bit of like sub-niches within it. And among them, like if you're after um, a lot of features and some high-tech gizmos, like a head-up display and uh, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay and USB-C and stuff like that, you end up finding that in the in, in a couple of cars, but not in other ones. And the Ford Escape ends up being this really, old, like, they try to offer you as much as possible in this car, um, and and it being a little bit sporty, a little bit more responsive, um, ends up being very different than, let's say, a CRV or a Forester, which can feel a little um, dull in comparison when it comes to performance, like especially like power. So you're saying that you know, two of the reasons so far out of the three, the first is power, mm-hmm. and yep. the second is equipment. Lots of equipment. And so um, what's, the, what's the third thing? What's what's another reason I should buy an Escape? Because I can get power elsewhere, like you said, and there's other places yep. I can get equipment. But is there anything about the Escape that's unique to it? Or is it only the combination of these things together? I think it's just those two things. That's my biggest um, – That's you've caught me You've caught me here. Like I don't know what to say that makes the Escape feel extremely special. Well, it I, is, I don't think it's your fault. I mean this is a segment where everything is pretty much the same with very – it's more shades of a certain car rather than yeah. very different hues of a different car of, – of, of, of a certain car, sorry. Um, I, I would try to throw in some practicality as well in the buying reasons for a uh, for an es- for an escape, but at the end of the day, you end up realizing that the CRV and the Rav Four are far more spacious. Um, so, it, it, to, what it ends up being is this 
it, like, like I said, it skews towards a certain thing. If you're after power, if you're after performance, if you're after a little bit of like a, of a, like a focus-esque driving dynamic, that might be in your, in your wheelhouse. You'll, you'll definitely lean towards the escape. But if you want something that's a little bit more family-friendly, a little bit softer, a little bit more refined, you might be ending up somewhere else in the, in the segment, like the RAV4 or the uh, CRV. And it's one of the funniest things about the segment because I think when you look at the CRV and the RAV4, which are like sales leaders, they're not especially exciting. I think I really like the RAV4 styling, but that motor in the in the 2.5 liter four cylinder is really kind of uh, blah. The transmission has given me headaches in the past. I don't know if the if the drive is especially engaging or responsive, and it's not even the most practical version of the uh, uh, the most practical car in the segment. But the RAV4 ends up being so much. In, like it, it hits so many um, checks, like it, it, it's close enough to so many of those check marks that it ends up being like a like a jack of all trades. And I think in certain segments, it's definitely okay to be a jack of all trades. But when you see people, uh, automakers specialize in some areas like performance or a luxury interior, that um, separates them from the from the segment further, but also makes it a harder purchasing decision for um, customers to make. I want to ask you a question um, about, you know, this jack-of-all-trades truck. Ford just came out with another somewhat similarly sized truck called the Bronco Sport. Yeah. Do you think that there's going to be either crossover between buyers or escape buyers who are going to be leaving the escape in favor of the Bronco Sport? Because unlike the regular Bronco, it's not a hardcore off-road vehicle. No. And in fact, a lot of the running gear, as far as I understand, in terms of the powertrain um, and maybe the dimensions are very similar to the Escape. And I will admit one of the biggest lowlights to me about the Escape is that the design is really kind of, um, I don't know, uninspired. Some people will call it clean. It just looks like a a car. Um, (laughs) Like a car. I mean, all right. Tell me how you would describe the design. It looks like a, a, a... a puffed up Ford Focus, but without the the edginess, the like sci-fi sharp creases that the Focus had. And as a result, I think the Escape ends up looking really kind of bland. Look, but we're not allowed Bronco... to talk about sci-fi on the podcast anymore. Oh, right. So I'd appreciate it if you stop bringing it up. Um, but as a result, the, the Ford Bronco ends up looking actually kind of um, interesting. It's worth taking a look at. And it has um, a few features like a, like a, um, a drive mode selector that, um, allows it to tackle certain road conditions or driving um, conditions with a little bit more confidence. I'm so, not sure if people will jump out of the Escape into a Bronco, but there will pro- there probably was people were people who were like, if I'm going to get into a crossover, I want it to be kind of rugged, and the Escape isn't that. So they I don't know. I don't. I don't know if else. people want a rugged crossover. I think they just want something that kind of looks rugged. And even mm-hmm. then, I don't think people care. I think people buy what they can afford and <laughs> what fits into their life. No, in this segment though, it, it's not. Yeah. Like, like you just talked for a good amount of time about how. Oh, no. <laughs> about, no, I, and I I have reached my limit, Sammy. Is what I'm yeah. saying. No, but, yeah. but I I you just talked for a good amount of time about how indistinct this vehicle is styling wise you know yeah and that describes so many vehicles that are crossovers and suvs so i have to believe that in that segment styling does not play a huge role and i think people are buying something that fits in their lives at a price they can afford i don't know yeah i guess that's correct um 
I will admit the RAV4 styling really hits me, and I think the, the Bronco Sport is the closest in that segment to looking like a RAV4. It looks kind of rugged. It looks kind of new, um, really modern uh, proportions, and I think that's really um, important. However, the other parts of the vehicle um, are pretty are pretty spot on. If the if the powertrain is like what you're offered, if you if it if it's tuned to how the escape feels, that's going to be a positive thing on the road. If the trans if the steering wheel, uh, sorry, the steering feel is closer to how the escape feels in the Ford Bronco Sport, that's going to be a positive thing as well. So I think there's going to be there there are going to be more people, and I think maybe having an extra option in the segment. It's going to be a good thing for for Ford as well. I don't think there'll be there will be like um, what's the word cannibalization of the Ford options. I think they're gonna they're gonna be trying to take away from the Forester buyers or the CRV buyers or maybe even the Equinox buyers who. And honestly, there's a, another vehicle in this class which has great brand recognition, but an option pretty awful product is the grand is the jeep cherokee not the grand cherokee but the cherokee um and i think buyers love jeeps i think jeep buyers want to buy another jeep but when they get into um something a little bit more family friendly like the cherokee it's not a great option it has awful interior um a really inefficient um engine it's 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 a dud. Like, honestly, it's a dud. And wow. I think that will scare some people um, into something else. And the Ford Bronco Sport will be right there for those buyers. So anything else you want to add about the uh, about the Escape? No, I just love talking about really not only crowded segments, but segments with really good options. I, I feel like I can talk for days on this segment. The compact crossover segment is full of excellent competitors. And we also just got um, a new reveal for the new Tucson which will will fit right in here. Ultra uh, sci-fi. Oh man, I'm losing. We're losing. Oh my goodness, this is half Ult- the people just tuned out. <laughs> Ultra futuristic design language to that, um, and I'm eager to see how the new Sportage will will or Sportage will look in the future. Um, and then we have, I don't know, the, the the CRV and the Rav4 are staples. In fact, it's important to discuss those products because. When we look back in the history of the compact crossover segment, who has the time? At, yeah, that's true. But the Rav Four has always been a, a really like impressive car. Like to me, the the first generation Rav Four that you get two wheel drive, a conver- like a convertible version of it, and then the first generation CRVs were also kind of cool. And you can get that model with the the table in the back, which I've talked about before. And the, the shower. Podcast. Don't forget the shower. Shower. I do forget about the shower. And I think that the segment has really grown into while the while the segment used to have these really neat, distinct vehicles, now it's grown into so much more than that. And almost every option is good, but you need to find whether or not you're looking for something that does everything, like a, a jack of all trades, or something that specializes in one place, and the CR, the 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 sorry, the Ford Escape tries to do everything, and it uh, it, it falls short of being excellent in this class, but it will probably um, appeal to a lot of buyers. So what else did you have in mind though for for the podcast? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about episode. you know um it's it's gonna it's gonna mess up it's gonna make Muscly Man forty five upset, but I wanted to talk about movie cars again, Sammy. Oh great, okay. Um, all the people who did not like Star Car Face Off, I guess, are you you just love trolling these people. Well, you know that was a long time ago. <laughs> I don't think any I don't think anyone who ever heard those episodes is still listening. Because they were not popular, but um, I, I I wanted to talk about uh, specifically movie cars and the, how just how fake they are. What 
What? Of course they're fake. They're, we're talking the the big screen, right? Yeah, but I'm talking about, you know, You can't believe everything that in the movies. That's you really can't. Talking. And some of the cars, even the ones that look super real and authentic and uh, amazing, turn out to be the fakest of all. Sammy, I'm going to hit you with a couple of fake cars from the movies, and I, I want your reactions to them and, and how this makes you feel. So Fast and the Furious, all right? There's... Mm-hmm. An infinite number of Fast and Furious movies, but I want to focus on. I think a car- they came out with like three more while we were recording. Yeah, well, and and four were filmed during the pandemic digitally. <laughs> but uh, just like cutting together footage from like last the last episodes or the last issues. Or no, just they, it's just together. cutting together scenes from the stare and drive from Too Fast, yeah. Too Furious, where they're staring at each other while they're driving. It's just that, yeah. but it's really tense. <laughs> Okay, um, so you're telling me that movie's – where's the fake car? I thought those cars were real. What are well, you there's a lot of fake cars. Uh, but the one I want to talk about is Dom Toretto's Charger, Sammy. What? Yeah, so it's supposed to be a 70. It's actually a 69. They may just made it look like a, a 70. But more than that, this car has been in so many different movies in so many different guises that even the original car – wasn't exactly what you saw on the screen. Remember that scene in, in the first movie where the you know he's talking about how his dad built it and they're in the shed with it and looking at yeah. the motor and all that stuff? That engine never actually fired up on the set. That was a motor that was built by Chuck Taylor Racing with the blower and put into the car just so they could shoot that scene. Every other scene you see with the blower, the blower is fake and it's being run by like a, there's like a switch inside the car to turn the blower on and off. It's just sitting on top of a uh, 445 cubic inch Hemi. That's that they, so convoluted. Why? Well, I mean, why build more engine than you need? I guess so. You know, um, but it, it gets once they were done with production, um, and and they made the first sequel, which doesn't have the car in it, but most of the rest of the movies have it. Okay. Uh, actually, the fir- the first two sequels don't have the Charger. Every other movie has it. So Dennis McCarthy, he's the guy who builds all the cars for Fast and Furious. Pretty much every car he builds for the movie has an LS3 engine in it. Okay, I mean, I think that makes sense because I think LS3s are easily available and they're pretty um, reliable, right? Yeah, and it also makes sense that if you're on location and you have 20 cars to maintain, if they all have the same engine and you you can just bring the same parts with you and it's a lot easier to do. So um, almost all the other chargers that you see have an LS engine in it, but they started to just buy – they were having trouble getting chargers that were in good condition, so they actually made a body mold – of the charger so they could just easily make charger bodies and then put them on whatever platform they wanted. So by the time we got to Furious 7 where they built that crazy off-road charger, that was sitting on a Pro 2 racing truck chassis. <laughs> on a truck. Um, okay, so second of all, this should be a they, – like they can kickstarter this idea and sell just body panels for like kit car chargers to put on anything that would be great well it's interesting because there's there's companies like dynacorn that make full bodies for like the ford mustang the 55 chev 57 chev you can i think some camaros now the 69 ss i think you can buy just like a complete steel body for all of these cars so um you don't have to worry so much about uh availability of body parts so mopars have always been a little trickier to do that with because it's not really the charger's not really a full frame car uh, so it's it's kind of a unibody design. So when rot gets in, it's it's a hassle. Uh, okay. But it, it would be an interesting idea. I agree with you. 
I um, want to continue this conversation with another movie, though. Can I? Can I do that? Only if it's a good movie, and if only oh, if Muscle no, Man Forty Five. Not a good movie. Okay. This is Need for Speed, which was one of those uh, like Fast and the Furious wannabes, uh. um, which was based on a very cool video game franchise. I remember, if I remember correctly. Every car in this movie crashes spectacularly. Yes. And there's no well, way there's no way that these would be real cars in any way or form. I don't know anything beyond that other than the fact that watching that and me like being what who would approve this? This doesn't make any sense. No, you're right. They only had sixty six million dollars to make that movie. Oh yeah. Okay. So you can't <laughs> be crashing Koenigseggs and Ferraris and McLarens. You just can't. Uh, so they had to get creative. And um, what they ended up doing was they built a whole bunch of chassis, mid-engine chassis, filled them with LS3s again, (laughs) and then they built bodies that were complete replicas of all the cars you saw on screen. There were a couple cars that were real. Uh, there was a, I think, a, a, a special edition Lamborghini that was real, and maybe one of the Ferraris. But um, yeah, it, it's the same kind of idea, except it, unlike Fast and Furious, which did casting calls where they pulled in people who brought their own um, modified cars to the first few movies when they were shooting. These were like 100% fake. Uh, the Mustang in the movie in the movie is real, <laughs> and the police cruises are real. But anything exotic is just it's 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 completely um, made of crepe paper. Okay. Uh, I love that they're using the LS3 again. Can you tell me what other cars are there in these movies that are completely fake? Well, I, I want to tell you that, you know, we were talking about how, oh, they can't afford to crash cars that are this expensive, right? Remember that movie Redline? <laughs> uh, yeah. So there was this, it was, it was basically made by a, a really... Do I rich... remember it? No, I, I remember of it. This is okay, the one well... with... Uh, with... Eddie, Eddie Griffin. Griffin, who crashed a very expensive car. Yeah, and- so it was basically made by a very rich guy who had a lot of cars, and he was like, "Let's make a movie with these cars." And then yeah, Eddie, did this guy, end up like going to jail or getting like bankrupt, going bank- bankrupt or something. I've run in different circles than you do, okay. Sammy, so I don't have that answer. But I can tell you that Eddie Griffin crashed an Enzo. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's how you do it. And uh, at the time, the car was worth, what, it was 2007, and the car was worth $1.5 million. So- of $2,007. Yeah, so today it's worth $600 million. <laughs> that's, that's good. So yeah, so the, Need for Speed did not want to do that. Need for Speed was made in 2014. Everyone had learned their lesson by then. Um, a couple a couple other cars that I think are, are fun uh, fakes was... This isn't really from the movies, from TV, but there was this TV show you might have heard of, Sammy, called Miami Vice. I've heard of it. Yeah, so uh, it was a couple of cops in Miami just doing their thing, infiltrating the world of drugs and uh, sex for sale and... Uh, they, they had to use vehicles that matched the undercover personas that they were projecting, right? So they were always driving Ferraris, Lamborghinis, that kind of thing. One of the star cars in the early part of the series was a Ferrari GTS4 Daytona Spider, except Very it cool. wasn't. It was a C3, it, yeah, it was a C3 Corvette that had been rebodied as a Ferrari. And this wasn't exactly a secret. I mean, it's not like the network could afford a Ferrari or let alone multiple Ferraris for the show. But um, when Ferrari found out, they got really pissed because their argument was, this isn't a real car. You're portraying it as though it is. And it's diminishing our brand because it's like we can see that it's a fake. And if people think that that's what our car actually looks like, they're going to be pissed off at us. That's so, not true. When, well, somebody, when somebody's like, wow, I want the car from Miami Vice, and then they go and they see the real one, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, this is even prettier. Yeah, but I mean, let's say you, you, you say that about this particular replica, but like we've all seen really bad Fiero-based replicas, right? 
Yeah. So if you saw that and you were Ferrari, you would probably be upset. So anyway, they were they were mad. To the, it was the 80s. It was a different time. Ferrari was so mad they, they started a lawsuit well, <laughs> against okay. the show telling them you have to stop using the car. So they came to an agreement. Uh, Miami Vice said, all right, we'll stop using the Ferrari Daytona if you give us something we can use instead. So they gave them a pair of white Testarossas. <laughs> Which is, I think, is a pretty good trade. Yeah. And then Ferrari was like, how do we know this car isn't going to show up again in, in the background of some scene? Because we know Hollywood and or t- wherever this was filmed <laughs> for, for TV. We know you guys love to save money and you keep these cars around forever. So they, they had an episode of Miami Vice where they blew it up with a bazooka. <laughs> What for real? Yeah, they should. Uh, uh, well, like, was that part of the like the the discussion? Do you it really was, think that was part of the discussion with Ferrari? It was could- part of the discussion with Ferrari. Oh. The car had to never show up again. So there's I an episode. Where- I get that, but they like needed proof. It's it Ferrari on, is, ca- on camera. <laughs> they are dead serious. And uh, there's a scene where Crockett and Tubbs pull up in some, it looks like the desert, and they're trying to buy weapons from these bad dudes. And to show off their weapons, what do you do? Blow up the car of the buyers who just showed up, I guess, because that's exactly what happened. Okay. That was a little, that was a, 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 I think, a a fun story. Ferrari's maybe a little over the top sometimes. But all this discussion reminds me of, like, real fake cars, and nothing reminds me of that more than, like, a cartoon car. And in that case, I want to talk about Benny the Cab in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Because, yeah. Well, I just want to say, who in our audience remembers 1989's Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I'd be very curious. If you've seen this movie, let us know. I've seen it for sure. I I've seen it. it a million times when I was a kid, but I'm maybe old, so <laughs> I, I love to find out uh, if other people are familiar with it. So, I mean, it's obviously a fake car, but they had to film all of these sequences where uh, the main character is is um, driving around in this in this cartoon. How did they pull that off? Well, if you're not familiar with the movie, um, when Sammy says the main character, he means Bob Hoskins, who was an actual flesh and blood human being. And Roger Rabbit was a rabbit who was animated. And the car is animated. And it's in the real world and an animated world at the same time. So that was really challenging back then because it wasn't done with computers. It was done by hand. And uh, what they had to do was they built this weird like lawnmower thing that Hoskins would sit on and then there was a real driver crouched down behind him dressed in black who would actually drive the vehicle while Hoskins was presumably holding on for for dear life and then they drew over top of that but one thing I never realized until this year a friend pointed out to me there's certain scenes in the movie where if you freeze frame it or if you play it at like quarter speed they actually drew Hoskins in instead of having him be there in person. So like transitions from one scene to the other, he's actually a cartoon. And you can't tell when you're watching it normally, but on a world of HD screens that we have now, you can freeze that and see what they were hoping you would miss. I I thought that was really neat. I mean, this movie, to me, really spoke volumes about the skill of certain actors who can act with things and people that are not there and i was curious not only with him like driving a car that is a car that is a complete cartoon um and he's completely exposed in this like on on these streets that he's driving on but in addition to that like was there somebody talking to him through all of this as well (laughs) 
I'm assuming that um, <laughs> was the lawn like was the lawnmower or the man driving the lawnmower the voice of Benny the Cab? Well, I mean, not only was Benny the Cab talking to him, but also Roger Rabbit is yeah, inside him. So I don't know. Like that's that's tough. Who's feeding him lines? They're speeding through traffic too. It's not like they're driving leisurely. Like this is a chase scene, right? So Hoskins is strapped to this crazy lawnmower, which is driving a reason fairly quick. And uh, there's cars. No, no, no. There's, that's not insurance company. There's not a company in the world that would insure a cartoon car. I <laughs> know. I mean, for the actor, that's so interesting. I love these these kinds of stories. Did you write about this, Ben? Uh, I might have written about it, and there might be a link about it in this week's uh, episode links. Very cool. So. Um, what Ben is referring to, of course, is where you can find our podcast. It's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Uh, you, head on, you head on over there and you will see all of our previous episodes. You can click on this episode. You can see photos of the cars. Um, and you can see links to some of the articles that we've written about uh, on these cars. Additionally, you can subscribe to the podcast using a website um, or wherever you find your usual podcast. That's very nice. And... There was one more thing I usually like to tell people to, to do on the our buttons. Website. You like to tell them to touch the buttons. Right. There's also a contact bot- button. You press that, you fill out a form, and it lands in our inbox. So if you hate us talking about fake cars, or maybe you want us to talk about more fake cars, uh, you can fill that out, and it lands in our inbox, and I absolutely love that. But there are also um, other intuitive, very easy ways to get in touch with us. If you head on over to your favorite social media platform, like, say, Instagram, you can reach out to Ben. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Or if you're um, in the very uh, loud and constantly changing world of Twitter, you can reach out to me. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Uh, additionally, you can reach out to us on just old-fashioned email. We're Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? I, I think you mentioned the Nissan Rogue. Yep, I'm driving the Nissan Rogue next week. And it, it's a redesigned Rogue? All new in every single way. Okay, I'm going to be driving uh, the Honda Clarity, which is a plug-in hybrid that I've never driven before. So I'm uh, very curious about it. It's been a long time since I've driven a hybrid anything. So uh, the fact that it's getting a little colder out right now where I live, it's going to be a good test of the battery in kind of a real-world situation. Excellent. So be sure to check in with us next week. I can't wait to talk to you, Ben. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.